Hello, gorgeous creep. My name is Piano Teeth, and I am, as ever, the voice inside your head. Thank you so much for having me. For those of you that don't know, I have no skin, and so live here in the dark, where I spend the time soaking my skinless sinews in the bath and drinking bleach. Lots and lots of bleach. Where... After a bottle or three, my mind cracks and I am plunged, brain first, into a story, which I then, kindly, share with you. Of course, I am joined as ever by Jasper the Toad, who's having a sulk. Okay, not a sulk, he's going to go on strike, a big boy strike, because apparently, I'm exploiting his labour. I do pay you. I pay you in cryptocurrency. Granted, I haven't developed the blockchain or mined the code, but once I do, then Bleachcoin is going to the moon, baby. You'll be rich, Jasper. Rich. You can do all those things that the people you follow on Instagram do. You can ride around in a limousine with your tits out, smoke cigars, go hunting. You'll love it. You just gotta believe in the Bleachcoin, baby. I'm telling you, Forget all this protest, socialism, pay me properly, meh, meh, meh stuff. You know it's not good. I'm telling you, bleach coin, bleach coin, bleach coin, bleach coin. We're going to the moon. To the moon. I've given you, I reckon, so far the equivalent to about 20 million pounds worth of bleach coin. Once it's floating on the market. That's how much I've given you. So, what would you rather? Be really rich just driving round in Paris in a limo with your tits out doing whatever you want, burgers on ice, the works, yeah? Or you could be poor, hanging out with sad communists debating Marxist theory in someone's dirty living room. Which would you rather? I know what I want. I want the bleach coin. I give you a room. You've got a room, I give you one. And we just deduct the rent from your salary. Whilst I give you cryptocurrency on top. It's more than generous, Jasper. Well, I'm sorry, but that's just the price of the room. Property is at a premium. I suggest that you get rich, then you can buy your own place and rent out a room. Then we'll see how socialist you are. You get fed, you get watered, you get fucked up for free. What more do you want? And you are getting in early with this cryptocurrency, Jasper. This is like having Google before it became well known. This is like having a piece of the internet, Jasper. This is like investing in the wheel while everyone was still walking, before everyone has the technology. Trust me, Bleachcoin is going to the moon. The moon. Now, you can have your protest once we've done this quick advert. Do you want to show the world that you're a good person without actually having to do anything? Are you passionate about making change, but simply don't have the energy to make changes to your own lifestyle? Do you hate hate and love love? Then you need Virtue Signal. Virtue Signal is an app that not only alerts you to a cause that needs promoting, but also will tell you exactly what to say. With nondescript phrases such as, this needs to change, we must do better, and everyone's favorite, this. You'll look like the conscientious, considerate person that you undoubtedly are. Because using your platform to highlight a problem is basically a solution. Virtue Signal. For people that care too much. And that's the advert done. If you'd like me to advertise for you, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. I'll peddle any old shit, as long as you pay me. Except for weapons. I won't do weapons. Unless you're one of the good guys. If you're a good guy selling weapons, then by all means get in touch. But if you're a bad weapons dealer, then no. I'm a man of integrity. And I must stand by my principles. Just be a little shit. Let me exploit your labor for a little while longer, then you can have your protest. Okay, here we go. This story is called Tree Venge.
Excuse me. Excuse me. Can you please take your rubbish with you this time? Said the old man. A perfectly reasonable request by most people's standards, but to the group of teenagers he was directing it to, it was as if the old man had burst out the bushes, demanding that they eat his poo. They bunched together, recoiling at the ball of curly silver-grey hair and a matching hazel coat and fedora. His waistcoat and trousers were brown, and through a weathered and wrinkled face, his eyes twinkled green. He smiled at the group of teenagers, staring at him in horror. As they're going to be playing a rather central role in this story, I suppose that I'd better introduce the group. There were six of them, four boys and two girls, not much older than seventeen. They were the self-professed cool kids in school, a ghastly thing to be, that never ends well. First of all, there was Spud, a large lad and proud of it. People had no choice but to move aside as he waded through the world, eyes peeping out through rolls of cheek, a packet of crisps, Yorkie or Ginsters always in reach. Then there was Snake, whose name was Jake, which became Jakey, then Shaky, followed by Snakey, and then just Snake, a nickname he took on with worrying ease, covering his bedroom with pictures of snakes and drawing snakes on everything he owned. He'd been sent home from school on a couple of occasions for laying under the desk and hissing at people. He also owned a pet python, and, between you and me, on a few occasions his mum had walked in on him stroking it a little too vigorously. Then there was Barney, a charmless lad, utterly void of personality. His redeeming feature was an absent father who lived in Thailand, and on the few occasions in the year he was confronted by the fruit of his loins, he would alleviate his guilt by giving the boy all the booze and fags he could fit in his luggage. This allowed him to return to Bangkok, confident in his parenting skills, and allowed Barney to be welcomed into the group and make friends, as he always had supplies. Depending on your metrics, everyone was happy. Then there was Tan, which she thought was short for Tansy, her name. In fact, it was short for Tangerine, the name everyone called her behind her back, on account of the excessive amount of bronzer she used. A perfectly lovely young lady, fond of chemistry with a view of becoming an engineer. Shame, really, because, well, this isn't going to end nicely, is it? Tan was best friends and secretly hated B, which was short for Bianca. Bianca's daddy was the local conservative MP, a man who spent his time calling for a traditional and proper way of doing things. Meanwhile, his daughter dealt skunk to the kids in the years below, made a point of urinating on war memorials and set up fake social media accounts to spread rumours about other girls. She was, in all sarcasm... A delight, and was going out with Archie. Archie was the leader of the group, often maintaining that nothing scared him. He wasted no opportunity in asserting his dominance. He was a hard bastard, and used the social currency of being good at hitting people to leverage himself to the top of the food chain. He'd been the first of the group to lose his virginity, with a model, on holiday, in Mallorca, where his cousin owned a nightclub and was friends with Lewis Hamilton, allegedly, although he had no pictures. His trainers were always creamy white, his tracksuit always matched, and he managed to pull off the eyebrow slit before anyone else. He was indeed the top dog, and he could sense the rest of the gang looking to him for guidance on how to deal with this old man who dared come along and make them rethink their behaviour. Day ain't your woods, Archie replied, not letting the fact he was a white middle-class boy from the home counties stop him from sounding like a roadman. What's it to you yet? They're just as much mine as yours, young'un. They belong to everyone and deserve respect. We're just having fun, B chimed in. The others agreed, nodding along. Good, said the old man. I'm glad. The woods are here for you. These trees have seen parties that you wouldn't believe. And they want you to keep coming back and enjoying them. Just take your rubbish away with you. That's all. You could throw a two-day-long rave for all they care. Just make sure none of this litter stays. Because it ain't fair, is it? 
The group shuffled uncomfortably. It's hard to be confronted by the truth. Archie, however, had spent years successfully ignoring his conscience and replacing it with entitlement. The old man was making him feel bad. He didn't like feeling bad. He spent the vast majority of his time doing everything in his power to not feel bad and resented anyone or anything that got in the way of that. This old man, with his stupid clothes, was now an enemy. Like his mum when she tried to take his Xbox away or that year seven boy who wouldn't stop crying when he took their birthday cake. What people failed to realise was that if they let Archie do what he liked then he wouldn't feel bad and wouldn't then make them feel bad as a result. But, as Archie often had to remind himself, people were stupid, self-centred dickheads. He finished his beer can, he finished his beer can and threw it to the floor at the old man's feet and leered, expecting some sort of reaction, but the old man gave none. Instead, he stayed very still and continued to smile at Archie not breaking eye contact. Annoyed, Archie snatched the cans out of Snake and Barney's hands and threw them on the floor as well. The beer sloshed over the old man's feet. Still, he didn't react. Come on then, pussy all! Archie shouted, signalling for the others to drop their rubbish on the floor, which they did, tossing half-drunk cans and near-full crisp packets down. Spud, not wanting to waste food, crammed two whole donuts in his mouth, just so he could throw his wrapper. It floated elegantly down to join the rest. And yet still, he didn't react. He remained motionless, arms behind his back, a slight smile on his lips as those twinkly green eyes locked on Archie, who paced up and down. Archie didn't like it. The old bastard was showing him up, and there was something about this old man's stillness that was unnerving. It felt like the trees were watching too, and the more angry he became, the more the old man smiled, which made him more angry. He had to do something, something big, something to assert dominance. He spat in the old man's face. Fuck off, nonce! There was a gasp from the group, and everyone watched as the old man slowly wiped the spit from his cheek. What did you say to me? I said, fuck off, nonce. Archie nodded at the others to join in. Yeah, you pedo! Snake threw a can at the old man. Pedo! Spud bawled. Yeah, pedo, Barney said, blandly. And I don't think anyone else noticed. The rest of the group joined in, yelling at him. Still, the old man wouldn't react, wouldn't say anything, wouldn't even move. He just locked eyes with Archie, who paced up and down. I mean you no harm, the old man said rustically. Somehow his voice, calm and steady, carried over the noise. All I ask is that you take your rubbish with you, please. Shut up, Archie spat, working himself up into a fury. I mean you no harm. All I ask is that you take your rubbish with you, please. Just shut up, Archie shouted. The yelling had reached a fever pitch. Bee had started pouring her cider on the old man, laughing manically, and the others soon joined in with their own drinks, as if they'd been given a license to purge themselves of all their anger, viciousness, their intent to do bad upon this old man who refused to react. He just looked at Archie with those green, twinkly eyes and said again, I mean you no harm. All I ask is that you take your rubbish with you. Please. Archie snapped. Past the point of no return, something had to give, and he wasn't going to lose face. He lunged at the old man, smacked him across the jaw. The rest of the group fell silent as the old man staggered back. He raised his hands. I mean you no arm, he began, but Archie pounced on him again, whacking him across the jaw as hard as he could. Archie felt the bones in his hand shatter as the old man fell backwards. Green eyes locked on his, arms outstretched, reaching for something that wasn't there to pull himself back up, until there was a wet crack, 
as the back of his head slammed into the exposed roots of the oak. Everything became very still, the whole world poised on an inward breath. No one dared exhale. Even the trees seemed to be leaning over to stare at the old man who lay at their feet. Come on, come on, Archie thought, summoning the old man to wake up. But he wouldn't. Archie shut his eyes in the hope that it would all go away. But there he was, unmoving, a trickle of blood running from the back of his head, staining the root he rested on. He looked peaceful, his face calm and friendly, nestled on a bed of gold and red leaves. Is he dead? He's dead, isn't he? Tan eventually broke the silence. Archie was about to reply, but a pain shot through his hand, tearing up his arm and screamed around his body. He winced as they carried on behind him. Check his pulse, Spud offered. Fuck that, Snake said. Barney shook his head and also took a step back. Well, don't look at me, said Tan. I ain't checking it. Why not? Three reasons. One, er, uh, two, er, uh, three. I didn't kill him. Archie did. Fuck off. Archie span round, wild-eyed with pain. I didn't... I wasn't... He made me. You saw it. No one replied. Nervously, they looked down at the floor. Spud busied himself with a curly-whirly. Babe. B went over to him and hugged him. It'll be all right, babe. My dad'll sort it for you. Don't worry, babe. B wasn't actually sure if her church-going father would sort it for them. But she was a messy bitch that lived for the drama, and it seemed like the best thing to say. And she'd recently watched a film where a politician was being blackmailed by some gangsters, and so figured that it would go roughly along those lines. Archie hid his face in B's shoulder and fought back tears. He wanted everyone and no one to be there, but more than anything, with every ounce of will, he wished that he hadn't hit the old man. He felt very alone and very much out of his depth. He really wanted his mum. Satisfied that he wasn't going to cry in front of everyone, he looked up from B's neck, and what he saw made his heart drop so fast it knocked the wind from his stomach. Behind the group, stood on the edge of the clearing between the trees, was a little old lady. She appeared to erupt from the fallen leaves on the forest floor. She wore a long coat, which hung from her shoulders to the floor. It was golden yellow and red, the same colour as autumn. Her hands rested on a twisted stick, covered in ivy and moss. Long, moonlight silver hair flowed from beneath a green beret, perched atop her head. Her skin was brown, and she looked straight at Archie with the same sparkling green eyes as the old man. Archie did a double take, but in the blink of an eye, she disappeared, vanishing into the darkness of the trees. Archie whimpered. What is it? B asked, turning to see what Archie was looking at, but of course, there was nothing there. An old lady, Archie said. Did no one else see her? Right there. She was stood right there. The rest of the group shook their heads. Right there, by that tree. Archie pointed furiously at the spot. Just there. The group looked at each other. Although not quite sure what was required, they sensed that as their leader was now hallucinating pensioners, the situation was calling for a change of command. Archie was still pointing at nothing. And her eyes, he continued, they were like... Like his, he pointed at the old man and then yelped in horror. The others looked and screamed too for the old man was slowly disappearing beneath a pile of leaves. They climbed by themselves up his body covering his arms, legs and chest before finally submerging his face. A gust of wind then raced through them, throwing the pile up in the air where they fell, floating down all around the group who stood staring in disbelief at the empty patch of ground where the old man had lain. There was now nothing there, just a blood-stained root. Fuck that, 
Snake said, not believing his own eyes. Immediately he went over to investigate, tentatively putting his foot down where the old man had been. He put his hand against the tree, leaning against it as he poured the ground. There was a noise above, and he looked up to see the old lady perched in the branches. She stared down at him, smiled and waved, but before Snake could cry out and warn the others, the tree started swallowing his arm. Where his hand had been resting against it, it suddenly began sinking into the bark, as if it was drinking him. In a panic, he tried to pull away, but it was no use. The tree was too strong. I mean, duh, it's a tree. He could feel his hand inside the trunk, trapped between layer upon layer of wood that was dragging him up inside, making space for him in the process. He screamed as he watched his arm disappear and put his feet against the trunk to push away with his legs. Immediately, his feet disappeared as well, and the lad started sobbing, watching as his legs were slowly swallowed too. The others ran over and tried to pull him away. Spud started kicking the tree, shouting, Let him go! The tree responded by swallowing Spud's trainer. He just managed to extract his foot before the whole thing disappeared in the bark. Oh, my trainers, this is bullshit, he whined. Your trainers? What about me? Snake screamed. His arm, legs and torso had disappeared. All that was left were his shoulders, neck, head and other arm that he desperately flailed about. Spud and Archie grabbed hold of the flailing arm and tried to yank him out of the tree with all their might. Snake, now being pulled in both directions, was in a lot of pain. Ah, wait, no, stop! He screamed, but too late. There was a snap, a crackle, then a pop as his shoulder was wrenched from his socket. Archie and Spud let go of the arm, falling backwards to the floor. They watched, helplessly as the rest of their friend was consumed by the tree. He was being dragged upwards towards the branches and so his head hung upside down. And, pleading and sobbing, he was sucked into the trunk. He tried desperately to keep his head away from the bark, craning his neck, pleading with the others, but bit by bit he sunk into that tree. The arm was the last thing to go. Limp and broken, it was slurped up like a strand of spaghetti. Once it was done, the tree stood there, just as it had before, unchanged, like nothing had happened. No one said anything. They just stared at the tree. Did anyone film that? B asked. The others shook their heads. There had been quite a lot going on. Shame, she said. That was the sort of content that gets you famous. Because what else is there? Archie, being the leader of the group, made a decision. And ran. It would have been helpful if he'd communicated his idea with the others because it was quite a good one. But they soon realised on account of him running away and it wasn't long before they'd unanimously agreed this was the best course of action, and they legged it as fast as they could after him. The old lady dropped down from the tree, landing in a crouch. Her jaw clenched, surveying the carnage left by the fleeing teenagers, the cans, the packets, the bags, the wipes. She tapped her stick on the floor, and the leaves swallowed up the rubbish till the clearing was as beautiful as when the group had found it. At her feet was the blood-stained root. She looked at it mournfully. Hearn had watched over these woods from their beginning. He'd walked amongst these trees from back when people used to pray to them. For centuries, he'd been their keeper. Anger burned inside her as she stared in the direction of the group, charging through the trees. No one hurt her children. She cracked her neck. Time for some good old-fashioned revenge, she thought to herself. She tapped the trunk. Leave no trace, she said to the tree, and then disappeared into the forest floor. 
The trees shook their branches in celebration. Mother Oak was back. Do you remember the character called Barney from earlier? The one with the absent father and ready supply of booze and fags? Yes, that's right. Him. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but he left. Before anyone else. Around about the time the old man smashed his head against the root. Yeah, he did, yeah. Don't worry, it's not your fault. There was a lot going on. And as I've said before, he was a pretty nondescript guy. Easily missed. And so we find him, running through the woods, ahead of the others, all alone. As soon as he'd seen the old man get brained, he'd scarpered. Never mind the rest. It's every man for himself, his dad had once said. Go into every situation thinking, what can I get out of this? And if things start to go pear-shaped, you fuck off, fast, and don't look back. And, in fairness, his father had always stuck to his principles, having walked out on Barney's mum when she was just four months pregnant. Barney reckoned it was a bad idea to stick around once someone had had their head smashed in by one of your friends, after you and your other friends had thrown beer on them and called them a paedophile for telling you to pick up litter. It did not look good, and Barney wanted no more part in the whole thing. The plan was to run home, burn his clothes, get a plane ticket and join his father in Thailand, where he could spend the rest of his life pretending it didn't happen. Simple. The woods seemed more threatening now he was alone. The wind rattled through the branches and the trees bent and twisted to make terrifying shadows across the path. He kept his eyes looking straight ahead well aware of the darkness looming either side of him. Everyone becomes afraid of the dark when they get lost in it. But before we can all enjoy that allegory, a noise made Barney look up. There, on a branch, stretched over the top of the path, was an old lady. Framed by moonlight she stood, stick in hand sentinel-like, green eyes bearing down upon Barney who halted in his tracks so fast he fell to the floor. She waved her stick and roots sprung up either side of Barney, wrapping themselves around his ankles. He scrabbled to his feet, trying to kick them away but he was stuck fast and fell on his face. Spitting out mud, he looked up to see the old lady stood over him. Who? Who are you? She waved her stick again, and a nearby tree leant down and with its overhanging branch grabbed Barney by the back of his coat and hoisted him upright. Even though he was a foot taller than her, the old lady made him feel very, very small. Please don't hurt me. All you had to do was take your rubbish away. That's all he asked you. He meant you no harm. And now, my children don't have their father. Barney felt his legs tighten, and he looked down to see his feet had been replaced by roots, and his legs were gradually being consumed by bark. He was becoming a tree. Please let me go. I'll do anything. I'll get all the litter, please, just... The old lady suddenly disappeared into the forest floor, gone in an instant, as if swallowed by the leaves, leaving Barney all alone. I don't want to be a tree! (laughs) He cried out in pain as his legs became wood, his bone and muscle twisting and turning itself into grain. He screamed, strained, scratched, pulled, pushed, punched, pleaded and prayed to any god he could think of to free him. But nothing worked. And he watched, sobbing in desperation as his thighs began to morph into a tree trunk. He heard heavy breathing, the sound of footsteps crashing through the undergrowth behind him. Turning, he saw Archie, tearing through the trees towards him. Ah, thank God, he breathed a sigh of relief. Please help! But Archie just ran straight past him, didn't even look. Archie! he called after him. But Archie was gone, disappeared into the darkness. Barney's torso was now trunk, 
and he raised his arms above his head, straining to keep as much of himself above water, so to speak, as he could. Tan came running past him. Sorry, Barney, she called back, closely followed by B. Sorry, Barney, babe. He watched as they both disappeared into the darkness ahead. It was up to his neck, and he raised his chin, trying to grab hold of the air above to heave himself up. Spud came trundling past. He stopped in front, to catch his breath bent over and gulping for air. Spud! Spud! Barney hissed. Spud looked up fearfully and saw Barney's face sticking out of a tree. Help me, Spud! he pleaded. Spud looked at him, unsure of what to do, but then reached into his pocket and pulled out a crunchy. He opened the wrapper and snapped the chocolate in half, putting one of the pieces in Barney's mouth. Pleased with himself that he'd done the right thing, Spud put the other piece in his mouth, and with a nod to Barney, turned and ran off. Barney watched him disappear into the darkness. He was now truly alone, in the woods, turned into a tree, with the crunchy in his mouth. He spat it out, hated honeycomb. His arms stretched up, further and further towards the stars, Buds bursting through the bark, he felt his roots driving themselves through the mud, wrapping, twisting and turning their way down, further and further into the earth. As his roots threaded themselves amongst the other trees, they made space for him. He heard them, the other trees, talking to him. They spoke slowly, and he felt the voices going through him, telling him not to worry and that all would be well. Spud finished his half of the crunchy. He wished that there was more, but it seemed like the right thing to do given Barney's predicament. Treat others as you'd like to be treated, his nan would say in her weird voice, and Spud reckoned that were he to turn into a tree, he would like to be treated to some chocolate. Besides, he had a double-decker, Kit Kat, Ripple, two Milky Ways, packet of love hearts, Maltesers, strawberry laces, a pepper army, and a bit of fudge in his pockets, so he could spare half a crunchy. He threw the empty wrapper on the floor and pulled the pepper army from his pocket, figuring that he would need the protein. Sliding the salami from its plastic packaging, he scoffed it down in two bites before throwing the wrapper away. He needed to be light as possible and couldn't afford to be burdened by litter. He ran as fast as he could for about ten metres before stopping and catching his breath. Puffing his cheeks out, he gulped down some air before opening the Malteser packet, tipping it upside down and emptying them into his mouth. He threw the wrapper to the floor and set off, his mouth now full of chocolate balls. A branch came swinging out of nowhere, whacking him full in the chest and knocking him backwards. He spat out the Maltesers and looked up to see the tree swinging for him again. He ducked and stumbled forward, only to have the back of his legs taken out by another swinging branch. He staggered to his feet and ambled along, but looking ahead he saw two trees stood either side of the path, flexing their branches across it. He couldn't go back, and to his left and right, more trees seemed to lean in, blocking him with their branches and daring him to get closer. He had nowhere to go, and so ate one of his Milky Ways. The wrapper floated down, but before it hit the floor, a gust of wind caught it and blew it up, where it was snatched out of the air by the hand of Mother Oak. She looked at it, then at Spud, who stared at her, wide-eyed. Mouth full of chocolate. You're the old lady, he said, before swallowing and opening the other Milky Way. Mother Oak watched as he let the wrapper fall to the floor again, before cramming the chocolate into his mouth. You don't get it, do you? she said. Get what? he replied, inhaling the rest of the chocolate and opening the Kit Kat. Another sudden gust of wind blew the wrapper from the floor into Mother Oak's hand. Don't worry, she said, and turned and left. What's going on? Spud called after her. Where are you? But he was cut short by a branch, thumping him across the face. 
Blood burst from his nose and another tree smashed him in the ribs as another came and took out his legs. The rest of the trees weighed in, eagerly raining blow after blow down upon him. Mother Oak walked steadily away, through the forest, followed by the sound of blood-curdling screams, branches breaking bones, and the desperate sobbing pleas of Spud. Are you okay with this, listening to all of this? Because this is basically people dying. And they're not adults yet. They're teenagers. You're listening to a story about a child being battered to death by a group of vengeful trees. And you must have been imagining it, subconsciously, really putting images to the words. The breaking of his bones, blood pouring down his face. Are you enjoying it? Because Spud isn't. Spud's dead. For your entertainment. Hmm. Shall we see what the others are up to? Because although horrible, this is quite fun, isn't it? Archie is still in front, and it looks like B and Tan have split up. Wonder why they did that. Hmm. Oh well, B is charging along a separate path, in a different direction to the other two, and... Oh... She's going to the road. Yes, she's cutting through and going to the road. All right, well, we can leave her for a bit and come back to Archie and Tan, who were charging as fast as they possibly could through the woods towards the car park. Tan followed Archie as he darted along the narrow path that wound its way through the trees, neither one daring to place a foot out of it for fear of what the forest would do. The trees loomed over them, and Tan felt them leaning in, leering at her, their leaves shaking in the wind and laughing. There were so many of them, and she thought about Snake and Barney. How many of these trees had been people? She ignored her burning lungs and willed her legs to just keep on moving. I'm not going to be a tree. I'm not going to be a tree, she said over and over gritting her teeth. She saw Archie stagger, stumble and fall in front of her, and without missing a beat, she leapt over him, turning to meet his gaze, but she wasn't going to stop to help him. This was about survival. No hard feelings. The car park lay at the bottom of a steep hill, and without a moment's thought, Tan threw herself down it. Allowing gravity to take over as she slid and tumbled down the muddy path, soaked by the morning rain. She realised, too late, that she was heading straight for a dense patch of brambles and desperately tried to change her direction. But you can't fight physics. This is exactly what she didn't want to happen, just as she landed headfirst into them. The thorns tore into her skin, cutting her hands and face, and she rolled over, trying to get up, but the brambles began to wrap themselves around, pinning her to the floor as they coiled themselves up her arms, legs and chest. She felt her skin being punctured by the jagged thorns, but the more she struggled, the harder they bit. Archie arrived at the bottom of the hill, covered in mud, having slid down the bank. Archie! Please, she said, straining her head up to look at him. He stood up, shot her a glance before vaulting the gate and into the car park. He wasn't going to stop and help her. This was about survival, after all. The brambles yanked her head back, cutting her face in the process. Whimpering in pain, she felt them begin to coil around her neck. She stopped fighting. There was no point as she felt the weight of them pressing down on her body, tying her to the floor. The old lady appeared, standing over her. Please, Tan said. Please. The old lady raised an eyebrow. What's wrong? She asked with a smile, as the brambles began to wrap themselves around Tan's face. I thought you didn't want to be a tree. His feet sliding on the pebbles, Archie dashed through the car park. He fumbled for his keys 
and unlocked the car. Seeing the lights come on and the safe familiar glow of the interior drove him onwards and he sprinted the final meters, launching himself at the door and throwing himself inside. Frantically, he switched on the engine, spinning the car and reversing out. Without stopping, he slammed it into first and began speeding out of the car park, the tires churning up the pebbles. He remembered to switch on the headlights, and as the darkness in front was lit up, his heart leapt through his chest. Mother Oak was stood before him, illuminated in the beams. She fixed him with an icy glare, mouth curling into a sneer, unperturbed by the car speeding towards her. Archie's eyes narrowed, and without breaking eye contact, kept the car going. Surely she'd get out the way. She did not get out the way. You'll move, bitch, he shouted. But the old woman just carried on staring, spreading her arms wide for him to come crashing into her. Which he did. Shutting his eyes and holding his breath, Archie allowed the car to slam into the old woman. He expected to hear screams, the crunch of bones breaking on his bonnet, the splat of blood and brains on his windscreen. But there was none of that. As soon as he hit her, the old lady disappeared. And when Archie opened his eyes, all he saw was a pile of leaves clinging briefly to the car before being whipped off by the wind. He'd got away with it and cackling with laughter put his foot to the floor and sped off into the night. The red and gold leaves floated down where they collected themselves in a heap and urged by a sudden gust of wind spiralled into the shape of Mother Oak. She watched after the disappearing taillights of Archie's car. The lad was willing to run to an old woman, was he? Her eyes narrowed and with a tap of her stick disappeared into the forest floor. Do you remember B, the MP's daughter, and Archie's girlfriend? Yes, that one. Well, she'd taken a different path from the rest of the group and managed to make it out of the woods. She kept on running, through a ploughed field, not knowing where she was, but felt that as long as it was away from the trees, then that was the right way. Leaping a stile, she found herself on a road, rejoicing at the feeling of tarmac beneath her feet. She plodded on, through the darkness. And it was dark. This being the countryside, there were no lights on the road, no houses nearby. It was nothing but her and the sound of her breath, trudging through the gloom. The hedgerows, dense brambles, hawthorn and hazel, were tightly packed and looming either side of the road. She could see them moving, swaying in and out. It's just the wind, she told herself but there was no wind. And they began to do it more aggressively, throwing themselves at her so that she had to dodge them, narrowly avoiding the branches that lurched towards her. Her breath came in short, sharp bursts, and wincing at a stitch in her side, she continued along that dark, winding lane. She was exhausted. Her body begged her to stop and rest. Her lungs burned. Her legs screamed. But she hobbled along, sweat pouring down her gurning face from her forehead, over her eyes. Each exhale was a desperate cry for help. Bramble vines snaked their way along the floor and tugged at her feet. Small roots at first that she was able to pull away from, but soon she struggled to kick herself free. She felt herself being stuck to the road, like she was running through glue, and looking down, she saw bramble vines wrapping themselves around her trainers. She kicked desperately, but for every one that she shook off, another two would take its place. She fell to the floor and began crawling, trying to drag herself forward. She clawed at the tarmac, trying to get a hold of something. All the while, the vines wrapped themselves tighter and tighter around her legs. She felt herself being dragged backwards, over the tarmac, and she yelped with pain as her palms were lacerated on the loose gravel. Whimpering, she felt herself being turned over. The vines twisted themselves round and round, bringing her with them, so that she lay flat on her back, staring up into the night sky. She felt more vines wrapping themselves around her arms, coiling round and round, tighter and tighter. She was beyond exhausted now, and could only weep as she felt herself being lifted up, 
off the floor and pulled on either side, where she came to a stop, suspended in mid-air like a human cobweb, arms and legs akimbo, stretched out like a starfish across the road. Mother Oak materialised. Looking down on her, she slammed the stick upon the floor and the vines began to twist her upwards. She faced Mother Oak, snivelling as the old lady looked at her, dead in the eye. P-p-please? Bee spluttered. Poor little fly, caught in my trap. Mother Oak looked at her. Please? Bee begged. I'll do anything. Please let me go. Please let me go. I'll do anything you want. Shh. You're already doing it for me. And with that, Mother Oak disappeared into the ground, with nothing but two leaves floating to the floor as an indicator she was there. Bee struggled against the vines, pulling on them, trying to wrench herself free but they only held her tighter. It was no use, and she hung her head in despair. She cried for help, over and over again, screaming till the breath was squeezed from her lungs and her throat was raw. Someone must come. She waited, and waited, and waited. Nothing. She began to cry wishing more than anything that they'd left that old man alone, that they'd cleared up the rubbish, that she hadn't come out tonight, that she'd never met Archie. Her head snapped up at the sound of an engine in the distance, its unmistakable hum coming closer, frequently changing pitch as the driver wound its way round the tight and narrow country bends. Hope reared its marvellous head in Bee's heart flooding her body with warmth and sending life to her entangled limbs. Surely she would be saved. Trees don't drive cars. She was pretty sure of that. And so, a person with skin and blood that didn't have magic powers but might well have a set of shears would soon be coming round the corner, spot her, splayed across the middle of the road and rescue her. The lights illuminated the hedgerows further down, before turning the bend and bearing straight down upon her. She heard the driver shouting, something about trees, not being able to swim. Blinded by the beams, she closed her eyes and heard the car come to a sudden, screeching halt. Squinting and blinking, she looked past the lights to see the driver, and her heart leapt from her chest when she saw who it was. Archie! she yelled. Archie raced down the dark country roads. They were narrow, with winding tight bends and thick bushes lined either side, and he bounced against the seatbelt as he slammed on brakes and thrust through gears. He was panicked and didn't care for the bumps, scrapes, pangs and tings as the car clipped and clattered against the bushes. He just had to get away, away from that old woman, away from those trees, away from nature. He was done, vowing never to live anywhere near anything as much as a patch of grass ever again. London, maybe. No, too many parks. The Arctic? But then what would he do for money? Something at sea, perhaps. A cruise ship or an oil rig. Yes, right out there in the middle of the ocean. No trees there, just water. Vast amounts of deep, dark water. And... Trees can't swim. Trees can't swim, he said out loud. His face lit up as he realised. Ha ha ha! Trees can't swim! He screamed ecstatically. Fuck you, trees! You can't swim! Dickheads! You can't fucking swim! Trees can't fucking swim! Trees can't swim! As he turned a corner, his beams illuminated something up ahead, blocking the road. When he saw what, he slammed his foot down, bringing the car to a screeching, juddering halt that threw him forward, only to be snapped back by his seatbelt, where he stood, open-mouthed in disbelief at the sight before him. It was B, stretched like a cat's arse across the road, arms and legs splayed out by what looked like branches and vines, shooting out of the bushes like guy ropes and twisting their way around her limbs. 
it truly was a sight to behold, and illuminated by the headlights, well, you can imagine, very dramatic. A sudden movement behind Archie caught his attention, and he looked in the rearview mirror. His stomach dropped. It was the old woman. She stood in the middle of the road a little way down behind him, looking directly at him, her eyes meeting his in the mirror. The air seemed to breathe around her, and he watched as her head lowered slightly, like a hawk, levelling on its prey. She brought her stick up and hammered it down on the tarmac. Immediately, the hedgerows either side began to shudder, and branches erupted from them, reaching across the road where they bound themselves to each other and Mother Oak, who stood, nonplussed as branches and brambles burst from her body as well, to join this natural wall. Archie had never seen magic before, especially not this ancient godlike magic, and it was a lot to take in. However, he'd swallowed every single reaction one could possibly have in that moment and focused his mind on the singular task before him. What the fuck was he going to do? In front of him was his girlfriend, ensnared by foliage and stretched out across the road. Behind him was a deity of some kind who had turned his friends into trees and was now turning herself into a wall of branches. There was no way he was going to get out of the car and free B. Something would grab him before you could say, shit. Archie had a choice. Either he reversed and try his chances driving through a magical barrier, or he drove through his girlfriend. To make matters worse, B was calling his name and begging him to help her. Sweat poured down Archie's brow. This was a tough decision, one that can't be taken like... Oh, he's gone. Wow. Oh, 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 oh. He just drove straight through his girlfriend. Oh, that is... That was quick. That didn't seem difficult at all. This guy's a real shit. No heartfelt goodbye, no explanation. Just put his foot down to the floor and wham, bam, thank you, bye-bye, B. And there was a distance. There was a distance and so there would have been a point when she would be looking directly at him for at least 30 seconds, and that is a long time to be staring into the eyes of your boyfriend as he drives towards you with the full intent of going straight through you. And straight through her he did. Look, I'm not going to go into detail. It's... you can imagine. And it's important to remember that these are children, or Young adults, if you will. So this whole thing is already problematic. Without me going into detail about how B was ripped clean in half. You can imagine. The branches weren't going anywhere. And the car wasn't going to stop. It's physics. Mother Oak stood, listening to the hum of the engine disappear into the distance. With a click of her fingers, Bee's remains were whisked into the bush and the branches that had formed a wall around her disappeared. Everything went back to exactly how it was, like nothing had happened. Leave no trace, Mother Oak said, before disappearing into the floor once more. Archie sobbed as he sped through the darkness. Even though he'd done it, he couldn't quite believe what he'd done. However, his blood-stained windscreen and the bits of bee on his bonnet proved that he did. He set the wipers to removing the evidence, but they only seemed to streak the blood more. With a roar, he thumped the steering wheel with his injured hand and so only hurt himself more. That evil witch bitch forcing him to do something like that. He checked around him constantly, waiting for her to appear. He had to get away where she couldn't get him, to see. Him, Mum and Dad, they'd get a cruise, move to an oil rig, whatever. The main thing was to not be near trees or nature or that old woman. Archie drove down his road and pulled the car up next to the house, relieved to see the lights were on. He burst through the front door and stormed into the living room where his parents were sat and watching telly. Hello, Archie. You all right? 
said Dad, taking in his wild-eyed son covered in mud. We need to go on a cruise, he spluttered. We need to get on a boat tonight. Why? laughed Mum. Because trees can't swim, he shouted. Have you been smoking the wacky backy? Trees can't swim, Dad, Archie shouted in his face. Trees can't swim! He ran up the stairs, leaving his bewildered parents looking at each other for answers. Should we go up there? asked Mum. Nah, give it a bit, he'll be all right, said Dad, flicking through the channels. Sometimes you get involved, and sometimes you just let things play out. That was parenting. And besides, match of the day was on, and he liked to shout at Gary Lineker. There's a woman in the tree. Not you as well, laughed Dad, not really listening and turning up the volume. No, look, there's a woman in the tree. He looked in the direction of his wife's wide-eyed stare and jumped. There, sat in the cherry tree in their garden, was Mother Oak. Archie paced his room. What was he going to do? Grabbing a bag, he began stuffing it with clothes. He had to get away. He'd run away to sea, join the Navy, work on submarines, whatever. A commotion outside made him look out the window. He saw light streaming on the patio, his mum and dad's shadows looming on the paving slabs. He heard his dad yelling, Get out the tree, you mad bitch! His mum was threatening to call the police. He looked over to the tree and saw a pair of bright green eyes staring straight back at him. He recoiled in horror, seeing the old woman in the tree holding her stick out in front of her, perched on a branch. He opened the window and called down to his parents, Mum! Dad! Don't go nearer! Don't go nearer! It's all right, son. It's just a mad lady in the tree. Get inside, Archie, said his mum, bringing the phone to her ear. Hello? Police? Yes, there's an old woman sat in my tree. No! Archie called down earnestly. Get away! Now! She's a witch! But they weren't listening. Dad advanced on the tree with a torch, shining the beam in her face, as if that were going to scare her off. Now you look here. You better get off my property. My wife is calling the police. Go on, piss off! But Mother Oak didn't move. She raised an eyebrow at this pompous fool in his slippers trying to intimidate her with his torch. It was laughable, and she fixed him with a glare before opening her mouth wide and vomiting up a pile of rubbish onto the floor below. Dad's mouth opened and shut like a fish as he tried to find the correct expression for this heinous act. In the end, he settled with a classic, What the fuck? and then blathered on about how this was his property, and how dare she, and that she was bang out of order. And all the while, her response was to simply vomit up more rubbish onto the pile below. Dad's vein was ready to burst on the side of his head, and with a strangled cry of, Who do you think you are? hurled the torch at her. She watched as it clattered against the trunk, before falling into the little mound below where it provided her with a fantastic bit of uplighting if you care about these things. She looked at him, standing there in his impotent fury, before replying, I'm Mother Oak. I am the forest. Who do you think you are? And with that, she opened her mouth wide and directed a jet of trash straight at him. What the? uttered Dad, before he was suddenly pelted with an onslaught of empty cans, shot straight from the old lady's mouth into his face. He stepped backwards, holding out his hands to try and quell the sudden tide of plastic bottles, tin cans, instant barbecues, and all the other shit that gets left behind by wankers. A used condom hit him in the eye, and he'd had enough. Retreating back to the house, he grabbed his wife, who was in the process of telling the police that the old lady was vomiting rubbish at them, before the phone was knocked out of her hand by an old trainer. They flung themselves into the house, shutting the patio doors as quickly as possible, where they stood, watching in horror, as the barrage continued against them, spewed up by Mother Oak still sat in the tree, crisp wrappers, wet wipes, plastic bags, all splattered against the windows. They had to dive behind the sofa, as Mother Oak belched up a shopping trolley which came flying through the air towards them. It smashed through the patio doors, spraying glass everywhere. 
The room was wide open now, and the almighty onslaught of rubbish continued, streaming its way into the house. The tide of litter was rising, and Mum and Dad tried to wade through it, whilst being hit by flying detritus. It was chaos. Dad got whacked by a fridge door, and he went down beneath the rubbish. Mum had grabbed hold of the banister, heaving herself up, looking for her husband, who broke the surface, gasping for air. He tried to make his way over to her, eventually getting to the banister and taking his wife's hand. The litter level rose. Archie heard them shouting downstairs. But he didn't leave the window. He couldn't tear his gaze away from Mother Oak who, from her cherry tree throne, orchestrated the destruction of his family home. She pointed her stick at the house, and ivy vines sprung up all around it, wrapping themselves round and round the walls, windows and doors. He heard glass smashing, furniture breaking, as the house suffocated in the ivy's grip. All the while, more rubbish poured in. Dad looked into Mum's eyes. He could feel himself being dragged down. Just hold on, he said to her, desperately. I'll never let go. Mum whispered, tears streaming down her face, before she lost her grip on the banisters and Dad's hand slipped out of hers. You let go! Dad shouted, before they were both submerged beneath the rubbish. Archie heard his parents stop shouting downstairs, and he felt the floor below him swell and buckle beneath his feet. The house groaned. Unable to take any more, the walls began to crack and crumble at the seams. He watched, transfixed as Mother Oak stood up in the cherry tree and walked towards the end of a branch which began to grow, stretching towards him beneath her footsteps as she pattered along it until she was right outside his window. Vines burst out from her back and they began to snake their way through the window towards Archie who could only look on with awe at the magnificence of Mother Oak as she stood before him. Framed by the moon, her silver hair dancing in the wind, he saw the beauty and splendor of her coat, shimmering red and gold, her skin earth-brown. Years of laughter and wisdom ran through rivers of wrinkles. He looked into her eyes, deep green and shining like dew-soaked grass in the morning. You're incredible, he whispered. She nodded. Slowly in reply, There's nothing I can do, is there? She shook her head. Slowly in reply, What are you going to do? He asked, as he felt the vines wrapping themselves around his arms and legs, winding their way up his body until they reached his neck. Mother Oak smiled, leaned in and said, Leave. No. Trace. Wah! And there we have it. Did you enjoy that? Little story about some youths meeting gruesome ends in the woods. I'll bet you did. Look, I don't get out much, but I do know this. If you go to a place that is beautiful, and you enjoy it for its beauty, and then leave that place any less beautiful than you found it, you're a fucking cunt. Well, that's all we have time for. Jasper's ready to go on strike, aren't you? What's that you got there? A placard? What does it say? Pay. Me. Proper. Ran out of room for the L and the Y, I'm guessing. Yes? But, you know, you're trying and it still makes sense. I know what you mean by it and that's the main thing, isn't it? Oh, Jasper, before you start this protest, can you get me some bleach? Thank you so much. Oh, and Vianetta. Yes, might as well enjoy myself. Okay, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the shit out of me. Put me everywhere, like an SDI on Freshers Week. And of course, if you don't already, then give us a follow on Instagram at the underscore piano underscore teeth. If you feel inspired to do so, then why not contribute to the Scribbles Gallery? Check out the website to see some of the wonderful art sent in by the other gorgeous creeps whose minds I frequent. Don't worry, you're my favourite, obviously. 
and please contribute to my bleach fund at ko-fi.com forward slash piano teeth. I should probably get one of those Patreons, actually. What do you think, Jasper, about Patreon? Oh, are you on strike now? Well, it looks like I have a fine night ahead of me, drinking bleach, eating Vianetta, and ignoring Jasper's protest. I'm excited. Until next time, be well.